Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Story Darlings podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Tara. And what are we talking about today, Tara? We are talking about Era Fire Part 1, which was extremely long. Extremely long. (laughs) This is the first book in the series where Part 1 is at least 300 pages long, and then it just gets like longer from there. So now we're getting into the the epic fantasy stuff. And we met so many new people that I was just like, okay, I have to write these people down because I don't remember who they are or the backstory of all of them because we also like get a lot of information about each one of these new characters so have fun today guys getting a crash course in all of the characters (laughs) listeners out there if we get something wrong feel free to call us out in the comments because that's that's always kosher and appreciated as tara mentioned we're covering part one which is called air of ash And this book kind of has a different tone from the previous two books. This is the first time it feels more epic scale. We're on a completely different continent now, completely different country of Wendlin. And there's just a lot more political maneuverings. There's different factions and groups being introduced and all of these different little plot threads being sprinkled out. And this is also the first time that I feel we get the fantasy vibe of everything, which I know you get a little bit in the other two, but that could have been anywhere. This is the first time you get to see the creatures like the Fae and the witches and all of these things that are like going to build this fantasy part to it. And you did get to see a little bit of them before, but now you're going to be engulfed in fantasy. As was teased in previous books, magic wasn't accessible in Otterlin or over there. And now this new continent, it is accessible. So we're going to get the fan, like the magic part of fantasy. And there's like skinwalkers and all Mm -hmm. these different monsters and stuff, which a little bit of like a horror aspect getting into it. So this book starts with our heroine, Selena. She has just taken a ship ride across the sea to Wendlin and after a week and a half of travel has booked her ass from the coast to the capital city of Varys. And it is here that she has been baking in the sun, stinking, becoming odorous, living off of flatbread and wine. And she is just living not her best life, but she is just like given all the fucks she had away. She has no more fucks. She doesn't want to deal with it. She doesn't want to do anything. And she's like, I'm just going to like bake. She does a lot of reflection. She's thinking about Nehemia a lot. She's thinking about the word keys. And there is a scene where the crown prince of Wendland, Gallen Ash River, comes through the city. He's just traveling through the city. And he is one of the people that she's supposed to be on a mission over here to assassinate and she sees how beloved he is how the people just celebrate and honor him decides not to kill him but she is also seeking an audience with the fey queen Maeve and that crown prince she also is very sarcastic about him being like the the crown prince and the loved crown prince and like all these things because that is something that she feels she is not she is the queen technically, but she doesn't feel like that. She doesn't feel the love of her people. She doesn't feel any of these things towards her people either. She's just kind of like, I am, but not at the same level that this dude is. And so she is very snarky with it, which again, my love of snark comes in because I did like the way she referred to him a lot. 
which this goes back to your previous comment, which if you haven't checked out the previous discussions, go ahead and do that for Throne of Glass and Crowd of Midnight. But Tara makes a comment that the King of Otterlin is very akin to Hitler. And so he's done a bang up brainwash job for all of the people of his continent, pretty much turning them against like magic and fae and by outlawing it and making it a highly, highly criminal offense. The end of chapter one, she meets this elite soldier, silver haired, tattooed face, and he is just stoic. You can't read him very well, but he is one of the trusted soldiers of the Fae Queen Maeve. They get into a little scuffle and he kicks her ass and she has herself some humble pie. He does it in a way that is just so assholey. He is such an <laughs> asshole the whole time. Not only does she get the humble pie because she got her ass beat, but she also gets it because the whole time you can tell that he's not even like trying that hard. And he's just making comments about her and he's just being an asshole. It just fires her up even more, but then she still gets beat. I don't know if I like him. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't know if I like him. The first time I read this, I had this the exact same feeling. I was like, um, he is mean. He's kind of a jerk face and he is really physical with her. And I don't like that. And we get more of that as, as uh -huh. this book goes on. So he essentially is like, get your homeless ass in gear. We're packing up and going to see Queen Maeve because she wants to have a little talk with you. And so he takes her through forest and everything, eventually gets to this mountain fortress of Mistward. Is it called Mistward? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It's a little hidden with magic and stuff, hard to find. Selena, meanwhile, is just having, I don't want to say like PTSD or flashbacks, but she is just overwhelmed by everything that she's feeling because a lot of this is her, her background, her upbringing. And it's weird for her to be back in this place where magic and fae are just completely normal. So she meets Queen Maeve and it isn't the best kind of interaction. Like Queen Maeve is kind of a bitch. You want to talk more about that? <laughs> okay. So I'm sensing a pattern with these fae that they're a little uppity, a little like very proud of themselves, a little like I'm better than you are kind of thing. But Maeve is Selena's great aunt, great great aunt, something like that. She is the sister of Mab, who we met as Selena's great grandmother, grandmother, something like that. Either way, she is a descendant of Mab, who is the goddess Diana, who gave her token to Selena earlier on. Maeve is her sister, and Mora was the other sister. And Maeve is the only surviving one, so she is sole queen now. And she holds a large amount of resentment for Selena's family. A large amount. She holds resentment for Mav and she holds resentment for Selena's mother. A large amount of resentment for Selena's mother because she married somebody that Maeve did not approve of. Basically, you hear that Maeve allowed Selena's whole family to be killed because she was mad and she didn't go and help them because she was mad that they had the child and got married. She also has been searching for Selena because she knew Selena had power. I think assumed that she would have power at this point. Selena's mother was hiding her from Maeve, not wanting her to have any contact with her. And as you get to know Maeve, you know exactly why, because she's a bitch, like Sanders said. Um, <laughs> and 
I have a feeling, and this is just me like guessing, but I have a feeling she's going to try to use Selena for her own ends. But that's just a what kind of a person I think she is. Anyway, so we meet her. We hear the whole backstory of Selena and her family, the resentment that has been built over years. And I think that that resentment also goes to Rowan, who is, like Sandra said, her blood-oathed person. He also has that resentment that she has not lived up to her true potential. In defense of the bitch queen. I like that. That's that's what we're going to call her, the bitch queen. (laughs) In the defense of the bitch queen, Maeve, she did have like a very considerable portion of her family murdered like back in the day, like went through all of this loss with them. So, and she is a very ancient being. She has been around a long ass time. So maybe that has something to do with it too. But yes, she definitely has some plans that probably aren't kosher for Selena. And she does want her to assume her power as queen. We can take a hint from how she treats Rowan and has him, you know, tied to her. She's probably thinking something similar. Yeah. For Selena, let's just face it. She likes people to be indebted and tied to her. So I'm going to backtrack us a little bit because before we meet Maeve in the book, we go back to Kale and Dorian. And I'm just going to reiterate that Kale is a fucking moron because he still, (laughs) even after all of the shit and sending her away and he's protecting her, he's still acting like she is the enemy. And like, he has a dream where he sees Selena killing Dorian. Like, he still views her, even subconsciously, as the enemy. And I'm like, dude, God, grow a brain. Dorian's her friend. She's not gonna kill him. Or at least I hope she doesn't in the book somewhere, because then I'll have to eat my words. But like, at this point in time, she is not gonna kill him. And then we also meet another character, Adian. And he is introduced as, I envisioned him as a pirate like this swashbuckling just like rogue fine fine yes yes um with some as sandra (laughs) said bde he has some extreme bde he (laughs) is part fey and we find out that he is selena's cousin he has the same eyes he has the Ash ash river eyes both dorian and kale hate his guts cannot stand him not one bit right and so he's going around and he's being himself and he's throwing these parties and all of this and kale is trying to like find a way to get him out of the palace and like ship him on his way and so kale starts going to these little parties and trying to catch him doing something or that he can use against him he discovers some things but that's later on in the book but we do meet adian adian is such a treat to read so he has a couple nicknames so for he's the general of the king of otterland's army and he is part of the elite elite and he has been away just you know, doing the king's bidding, taking over territories and all of that stuff. Adian is also known as the Whore of Otterland, which is because of this way that he carries himself. He's the only one that can get away with being kind of a smart ass to the king and just being very nonchalant in how he carries himself and not doing exactly as he's told. He finds like little ways of working around it to the king's eternal irritation but and one of the reasons he can do that is because the king thinks he has him in his full control because adian is wearing that black ring another reason kale can't stand him because now he 
knows because of Selena that that black ring means that you are in the control of the king. However, he's magically controlling these people. He is controlling them. Kale instantly is like, oh, enemy, enemy, enemy. His spidey sense is going off completely about Adian. It's fair. You know, he's seen enough people wearing this this black ring. I can't remember if the book goes into it, but how Adian had the foresight to be like, uh, I'm going to make a replica yes. of this ring. He's just, he's very savvy. Yes, when Kale... Um, can't trick him. When Kale finds him, finally, after all of these parties, he, Adian's not attending these parties. He is throwing the parties and like making enough of an impression and then hightailing it out of there to go do something else on his own. And so he is using these parties as kind of like his beard for what he is truly doing. And everybody knows he was there. Everybody knows he was up in a room with this girl or whatever. But then when Kale tries to figure out like he goes to that girl and she's like no he left and he's like wait well then where the hell is he and so he does this a couple of times and he figures out that this is a pattern that Adian's throwing these parties and then he's leaving you see that there's still some like suspicion and he's trying to figure out what he's doing and when he finally catches him he makes a comment about the ring Adian's like oh you mean this one I got a bad sense off of it when the king gave it to me so I threw it away it's now in the ocean somewhere and I made a replica to where he thinks that I'm wearing it but I'm not Adian has this like oh yeah that was a pretty good thing after Kale tells him what the ring does he's like well I'm, I'm really glad my face senses kicked in there and told me don't do it it makes me wonder if because the power isn't as diluted in their bloodline and we've already been told that if they get near this stuff, they feel sick, they get headaches and stuff like that. So if he like sensed it much more powerfully than say Roland or uh, Caltane. Yeah. Well, and we didn't hear anywhere like we know Roland and Caltane had magic. But we don't know that they had fae in them. So maybe it's a fae kind of thing. Because you know Selena does. She felt it. Mm -hmm. And she knew it was a bad thing from the beginning. But I wonder yeah. if it's like kind of a fae sense of this is a That's bad a magic, point. not just a magic. On the topic of the fae... Another nickname for Adian, the Whore of Otterlin, is the wolf. He's called the wolf. He wears a wolf pelt, like a white wolf pelt around his shoulders. And we are told early on in the series that Faye can have a second form, which is an animal, which we already learned that from Rowan. There was like a hawk that was just hanging out, keeping an eye on Selena while she's just baking <laughs> on this rooftop and just having wine and being miserable about her life. And so Rowan has this form as a hawk. Selena's form is human, right? Like she yeah. she she doesn't have to have the fae look to her. She can change into the human right now. That's what we've seen is she changes from like a human state to a fae state. Yeah, which is so interesting that she can put off this facade mm -hmm. of looking human, but also have like the fangs and ears and coloring and all of that. Pretty much all we know about her is from what we've heard about her childhood, which was her powers were very unpredictable and uncontrollable. And she has struggled with that. I have one more thing to say about Adian, and I'm going to admit this <laughs> because before we found out that he was Selena's cousin, I totally would have had him with her. Can you imagine them together as a couple? Tara already shipped that. And then I was like, oh, dang it, they're cousins. They can't be. That'd be weird. Kale was even like Dorian and Kale were both thrown off because they're like talking to Adian face to face and they're like, holy shit. It's like looking at the male version of Selena. Yes. <laughs> but I've, 
like he is just that character that I'm like I understand you've probably done some bad things in your life like he's the morally gray person that but I'd still probably you know be down everyone take note Tara is down with a morally gray person here <laughs> in this instance the whore of Otterland yes I mean he's probably got some talent not a whore I mean if he has the name whore of Otterland he's probably Anywho, moving along, before we check back on Rowan and Selena in Mistward on the other continent, back on the Empire of Otterlin, we get to see a new character named Manon Blackbeak. And as we kind of mentioned in a previous episode, there is going to be some political fallout from murdering Baba Yellowlegs. We meet three major witch clans. We meet the Yellowlegs, we meet the Blackbeaks, which is what Manon is part of, and then we meet the Bluebloods. Within each of these major clans, there are a number of covens that fall within the Yellowlegs, Blackbeaks, or Bluebloods. And we meet Manon, who is the first of her clan, and she she has like 13 witches that she is like the leader of, the wing leader, if you want to call it. And so the cool thing about how the witches are written is until magic had been outlawed, they had been riding around on broomsticks, like actual witches, which I love, like as absurd as that idea is. We also learned that because of magic disappearing, the witches have started aging like mortals too. So they used to be immortal and all of this stuff. I think they say Madonna is a hundred, a couple hundred years old or something like that. So we're introduced to this whole other witch line now. And we learned that these three iron teeth is what the called they're like girl gangs essentially that have these iron grills that come down like retract from their and cover their teeth and they have these like killer just iron claws that they can just slash people to death with and so we meet Manon she's like hiding out in this cottage posing as a croaken witch which are like the kinder healers and stuff is what they come to but they're pretty much going extinct and even the iron teeth witches there were like 20,000 of them before magic was outlawed and now they're down to like 3,000. Manon is kind of a bitch it's she's one of the funnest POVs to read because she is razor sharp she doesn't care who she kills she thinks about violence all the time she the witches how they interact it's like I said it is like a girl gang they're just very rough with each other they're always brawling they're always getting into it they're in a contest right now to find out who is going to be the leader of Otterland's Wyvern army in his plans to further take over everything. And by kind of, Sandra means full out, knows she's a bitch, and is very comfortable with being a bitch. I equate her in her bitchiness to Selena. Like, Selena's bitchy. She knows she's powerful. She knows she's good. She knows all of these things. But Selena has a conscience. And right now, we see Manon does not. So Manon is Selena mm-hmm. without a conscience whatsoever she is down to kill whoever she doesn't care you see her when she first comes in she is wearing a red cloak of the cochran croaken whatever witches <laughs> wonder what's on tara's mind <laughs> yes. um, i'm just kidding croaken witches and the way she got that was by murdering the young witch that had that cloak. And she doesn't really care. She's like, hey, it hides me. Means to the end. I don't really care. Like Sandra said, they are, you know, trying to figure out who is going to be the leader of this writing pack that Otterlin wants the witches 
riding their wyverns. Manon just knows that she should be the one leading because she's the best, right? They go to pick out their wyverns and everybody wants the bull, Titus, Titus, because he's the biggest, he's the meanest, he's the everything. They're all fighting over him. In that fight, one of the other witches pushes Manon in to the wyvern like nest kind of thing where the spite is scrub. Yeah. Um, is gonna happen trying to kill her because these are little beasts. It's a disturbing scene, yeah. right? Because it's it's likened to dog fighting. They just drop into these monster pits and these wyverns duke it out. And there's a Titus is just yeah. There's a bait, a bait wyvern, wyvern, and he has had his like tail cut off and like all of his little like you know, defense mechanisms because they don't want him to hurt the other ones. They want him to bait them out and have the other ones fight him and show what they can do. This little bait wyvern, which you feel sorry for, even though you know he's going to be used for bad things in the future. Feel sorry for him. Titus is going at him. Manon goes into this little like arena area that they're fighting and Titus then goes after Manon and is going to kill her and the little bait wyvern saves her. And so she's like, hey, I pick him for my ride and her grandmother is beside herself (laughs) mad because she's like, he is the worst thing you could pick. He can't fly. He doesn't have a tail. I think there was something with his claws. Missing teeth. Yeah, and and she's like, well, you know what? I can sense that he's smarter than the rest of them. You get to see Manon be calculating, not just strength, but calculating at this point because she can sense that he understands her and that he's smarter than the rest of them and he can then be their leader because he is smart and they're all dumb, apparently. And so she's being very calculating in this decision and her grandma's like, well, he's not the biggest one and gets mad at her. And so then we see her grow with this little wyvern who is learning to trust and just kind of sad and then um she helps him by getting him helps because it was a painful process but she gives him the teeth and the claws that are made of iron and she makes him a new tail and stuff and you see them just grow together and so i kind of like manon at that point in time because you can see that she cares about this wyvern, but nothing else. It was still a very calculated decision to pick it because even though she ends up naming it Abraxas, and even though Abraxas is a bull, it's stated that he is the tiniest one of all of the wyverns, including the females. And this was the hardest scene probably in this part of the book for me to read because if it involves torturing or hurting an animal of any kind, whether it's a horse or a dog or these dragon-like creatures, the wyverns, I'm like so soul crushed. Even in that fight with Titus, Titus did not walk away from that fight. He ripped out Titus's throat and that bloodbath violence spoke to Manon. I just think the thread line with the wyverns is it ends up being one of my favorite as the series goes on. We do meet another character before we go back to Selena and that continent. We meet another character at Otterlin and it is a healer. The healer that has been helping our gang of misfits this whole time named Sorsha. And Sorsha has lost her entire family to the King of Otterlin. So she has been helping and she has been keeping a secret because she figured out what has been going on. And she has been keeping it a secret because she is a lovesick little girl who is in love with Dorian. And she is keeping his secret about having magic. She is keeping Selena's secret about the 
word marks and all of that stuff. And she is helping them by healing them every time they need it. And Dorian goes down because he is trying to figure out his magic and he's trying to like whatever and he keeps getting hurt. <laughs> so he keeps going to her and she finally lets the cat out of the bag that she knows what's going on and that she is willing to help him. She tells him the story of losing everybody and he's like, well, then why are you helping me? Like, I should be your number one enemy. And she's like, well, I don't have anywhere else to go. And he equates that to Selena. So she is instantly connected to him. And then you see them blossom a little bit with a kiss. Sandra's giving me this look. So I don't know if I should be happy about this yet or not. But again, Dorian grew on me. He is so cute and so sweet that I'm like, you know what? If that's the girl you want, you go be with her. I'm down for him getting a girlfriend. I mean, Tara in discussion number one of this whole throne of glass read along wanted dorian torn down a few pegs because he was such a flirtatious just you know not not a care in the world kind of guy and then the previous book he's just like going through it and suffering almost to a point where tara actually felt bad and now he meets this girl sorsha the healer who has had a crush on him before she ever knew that he was the prince like she has just had this little teenage crush on him. Tara wanted him to be happy, which he seems to be. They're happy. I'm just making these faces and rolling my eyes because I had shipped Dorian and Selena so hard. Like when I first read this because I love Dorian so much. But yes, as long as he's happy, that's all that matters. <laughs> Sandra really means that. Like you can you can I'm, hear it I in her hold, voice. I can hold a grudge like no other. Yes, I hold I hold grudges forever. But it is <laughs> do not forget. It is a really good I feel like it's a really good relationship for him and I feel like he's probably going to screw it up in some way just throwing that out there. But I feel like it's a really good relationship for him. Because he, like, she's willing to help him learn his magic and she's willing to make potions to help him, like, keep it under wraps to where he doesn't, like, give it away. And she's super smart and she loves him. And like Sandra mm -hmm. said, she liked him before she knew who he was. So, you know, she likes him for him. She sees through that that playful, flirtatious prince and I, mask that he wears. I think when I first read about Dorian, I was holding his dad against him. And I'm like, oh, you're... You're gonna be just like your fucking dad and you just don't care and you blah 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 but he proved me wrong so i am willing to admit that he might be a good guy and i say might because there are like what five other books that I've got to read. So he might not be a good guy. So I'm not. But anyway, I'm willing to say it's okay if he has a happy moment now. I'm okay with that. Dorian deserves to be happy. Yes, I agree with that. And Sorsha, she's not just a pretty face. She is, like Tara said, she's smart. One of the things that I really like about her is she is resourceful. So when Dorian is like telling her how worried he is about people finding out about, about his magic and what his father would do to him and you know, just what would happen to him. She's like, okay, I'll get you on this high iron diet to suppress the, the power. Why didn't anyone else think of that? And it helps a little. Yeah. And she also like, he lost control of his power in her like healing room, doctor's office kind of thing. She took the blame for that. And she, she was like, okay, okay, we're gonna just knock over these other things. I'm gonna say I slipped and 
you know, I broke everything in this room. It was all me. And so she... She's Tara. She's clumsy a klutz. Yeah. And so she took all of the blame and the leader of the healers is like, you know what? You you did that to like Prince Dorian and going off on her about the fact that he's the crown prince and you cannot be messing up. And she just, she just took it for him. And she's like, I'll face my punishment. I'll get kicked off whatever thing that I need to, to make sure that you don't get found out. Sorsha, Sorsha is a good egg. We all want Dorian to be happy and Sorsha is a good egg, but just by position, this cannot end well. She is the healer and he is the crown prince. I mean, he can be happy as long as he wants, but at the end of the day, they are two very different people. So it cannot end well. And that's what I'll say to shit on your parade. (laughs) Well, anyway, okay. So let's leave Dorian. Let's go back to the other continent and let's go back to Selena because, well, what are you going to shit on? You like Selena. In meeting Maeve and finding out about her family, there was a little, little thing that was dropped in there that I caught on to that I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. I called it. But there was a little line that said that the rulers of Terrasan were put in the stars when they died. It makes so much sense why the stars were looking at Selena and why the stars are so important to her and to Elena, their sarcophagi are in the stars. Like the floor is painted like stars. It's because Elena went to the stars when she died. I love that kind of imagery and that kind of like building it into a myth and building into like story that could be told. That line stood out to me. I like how the story is very ancestral focused. Like it plays a huge part in in the events that go on. The past actually matters, you mm-hmm. know. And then we meet two more characters. Well, we meet a lot of other characters, but I'm going to point out We two. meet a lot of characters. Um, we meet Luca and Emrys. And these two mm-hmm. are kitchen staff where Selena is now living um, as she's- demi As she's going through this training with Rowan, right? Um, trying to mm-hmm. earn her spot and convince Maeve to give her answers to her questions about her family and like how to beat the king. And so she's having to go through this training with Rowan and he orders her to be on cook duty in the kitchen and just do whatever the fuck they tell her to do, like a little winch- Cut onions. Yes. Like peel potatoes. <laughs> and so Luca and Emrys are there. They are demi fae and they are also trying to earn their way into the fae like realm. And we find out that they have been trying to earn their way for quite a while and that demi fae are looked down upon quite extensively. Like they are not, they have to earn their way into the fae realm. They have to show their worth before they're counted as people kind of thing. Luca and Emrys are doing that by, you know, basically doing whatever they're told to do, which is sad. Yeah, it is sad. We're getting more glimpses into fae culture and it's kind of like in Harry Potter with mug blood terminology for people that aren't fully magic blood. It's like the more you find out about just fae societal structure, it's not very pleasing to hear about how they treat people so differently for not being full something. So you have all of these people working in this, this out, I don't know if you want to call it an outpost. It's just where Rowan takes Selena to train her to channel her 
fae power. He's trying to get her to change into her fae form. Per usual, Selena's just having the funnest time of her life. If she's not training for a competition, she is just getting the crap beat out of her and trying, trying to like condition her body into manifesting her powers. So she's just having a good time with Mr. Teacher Rowan. If she ever becomes queen, she's going to be the baddest of the badass queens because she's going <laughs> to have lived through it to make it there. I think it was funny. She made the comment that she had like never done any kind of like cooking or kitchen staff work. And so she's just like chopping onions and peeling potatoes and doing all this shit. And, you know, anytime Rowan punishes her, he's such a, he makes a comment in the book, like he's referred to as a sadist. <laughs> and it's like, that is very apparent with how he treats her because maybe this is why I didn't like him when I first met him and I had a hard time warming up to him, but he punches her in the face at one point. Like he just punches her in the face. He does all the stuff to her. He bites her like right here, like goes full vampire, just like bites her. I mean, he's just manhandling her. Well, to his defense, and usually it's Sandra playing devil's advocate here, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for Rowan. To his defense, <laughs> Rowan kind of smart and he figured out early on that the way to make Selena do something is to piss her off and so he figured out that the way she changes and takes over her fave powers is when she's pissed off or when she is fighting and so he learned early on that that is the way to get her to do that and so he's using that to the best of his ability so when he does bite her it is for the sole purpose of his her off to the point that she changes fate. Tara has a good a fair point. That is a fair point. I'm also going to point out that my one sole comment on Rowan is Rowan is an ass. <laughs> That's it. That's yes. all I wrote. He's an ass. So I, I will be I will, I am in your corner. I'm just saying like he's using her anger against her and he's doing these things to just piss her off. That's his whole intent. He's not wanting to hurt her. He just wants her mad. I was curious what Tara would think of Rowan because she was like so stuck on this like gruff kale and all this shit early on. I'm like, okay, what about this grumpy, just stoic demeanor guy who we find out is a prince himself, by the way. He's not my favorite which is weird. And I think maybe he would have been more my favorite if Adian hadn't just been introduced to and I had to pick um, because I love Adian. <laughs> but there is something that happens towards the end of this part that has me a little confused on whether or not I like him. And we'll get to it later. At first, I was like, you're just an yeah. asshole. I mean, he is. Yeah. And I didn't He's like him like very much. For sure. And I liked Adian. And then Adian was her freaking cousin. I, I just love him being... In his perspective and him, just how he thinks about Selena and their childhood, like he has such a like warm memories of the two of them. I feel so sorry for him because he blames himself for it too, like for the I know. like for not being there for her. And like, what were you like twelve? Like, what could you have done against these assassins yeah. who killed grown ass as her dad is described, warrior princes? Which back on that point, he blames Aramin. For being responsible for all of that. You remember that part? Uh -huh. And then Erebin coincidentally wait. discovers her in this river and tortures the like living shit out of this eight-year-old. But anyway, Erebin's not, he's on my shit list. If I were an assassin, Erebin would be dead in case you're not watching. <laughs> dead, dead. Back to Prince Asshole Rowan. Okay, so we got, Doing we everything got he Queen can. Bitch. Or Bitch Queen. <laughs> queen. Bitch Queen. Bitch Queen Maeve. And Prince Asshole. 
Okay, I like these. I like these names. <laughs> just renaming people. Uh, Prince Asshole is doing everything he can to press Selena's buttons and get her to be able to control her power better, which it now involves him taking her out on these little trips through the wilderness and putting her life in danger. And they come across all kinds of crazy creatures. There are some, I think they're called whites or something, right? They're the ones that like fuck with her memories and re- well, bring them to the forefront. No, because... He takes her to the whites, but the creature that she interacts with, he said, I, that's not what you were supposed to be interacting with. So I don't think it's actually a white that she interacts with. Like she was supposed to be interacting with the whites. I don't know who the fuck they are, but this creature that she does interact with takes her down memory lane and shows her all of the horrible things in her life. And she does shift But then when she comes out of that, she is like beside herself and she is so pissed off and she hates him. And he's like, well, that's not what I brought you out here for. I don't know what that was. Yeah. I mean, she sees her parents' death. She sees Nehemia's prime scene. I mean, all of the worst things, which would be unimaginable to have to live through again. And then there is a scene with these creatures called skinwalkers that just literally wear stitched together skin of their victims and they're actually in danger like rowan is legit worried and like if you don't shift we're dying because i'm not leaving you at least he didn't leave her like there's like one point out of the like hundred against him one point for rowan he didn't leave yeah her. so prince asshole is a little less asshole kind of so. but they also start discovering things like we hear that there are corpses being discovered like bodies dumped off you know and and they're kind of i don't know if they're described as like husks of people but like bodies have been turning up and like weird stuff is going on at first i get the sense that they were like human or something and then the last body that they discovered was demi fay and so then they get a little mm-hmm. bit more concerned because if you know if they're able to do this to demi fay like are we progressing what's going yeah on? it's all tied into these things that are going on back in the empire of otterlin which is when manon and all of the witch clans come to the Farian gap for wyvern training and all this, all of the men that work in this place have a taint to them, a very sick taint that Manon can sense. They, she describes them as they're rotting from the inside because these iron teeth witches, it is common for them to like drink blood, consume blood and lick blood and all of this stuff. And it's just disgustingly rotten is how she describes these men that have been working in this area. And since we're back on Otterlin, I have a couple more points about Adian that we discover. Um, <laughs> back to Adian. <laughs> um, back on a positive note, away from Prince Asshole. Adian's over here being Adian and making everybody fall in love with him, including Kale. To a point, like not in love, in love. Kale's like, oh, okay, you're probably not as bad of a guy as I thought you were. So he tracks him down after these parties and he figures out that Adian is a part of the rebellion. Rebellion. (laughs) I wrote rebel, part of rebel, which- Rebel cause. Yes, very Star Wars. He's a part of the rebellion. He's he's on the good side, right? But Kale still doesn't trust him very much because he's like, how can you turn on your 
own people? And how can I trust you if you're willing to kill your own people? And then he finds out that Adian, much like Selena, isn't actually killing these people. He's just faking it. So what we've learned is rulers of Terrasson are smart, good people, and good at faking it. All good qualities for a ruler, right? And so- Yeah, they put their necks on the line. Yes. So he's been faking it this whole time. And so Kale's like, okay, if you're, seems like you're okay. So he shares with him that Selena or Aelin, right? I said that right? Yes. Aelin is in fact still alive because Adian at this point is just all down on himself that he allowed her to get killed and he loves her and all of this stuff. And Kale's like, hey, hey, over here, me. She's actually still alive. And like this chick that you were just mentioning in like a not sisterly way, because Adian had mentioned he'd like to meet Selena in a very roguish way, is in fact her. And I, I just sent her off to this other continent. So you're not going to see her for a little while. She's alive at least, right? Well, yeah, we get some kale hate from Adian. Adian's just like, what the fuck? Why would you send her to a place where she is going to get killed? And then it's kind of satisfying because we have been so frustrated with some of Kale's decisions and how he's treated and to have someone on our team like also shitting all over Kale maybe it's so satisfying that is where my love for Adian really comes from is because he yeah. calls Kale out and he's like you're a fucking moron just yeah. downright moronic Adian is basically everything that Kale wants to be I feel like because Adian still has a huge sense of honor about him and respect that he garners from people but he doesn't just blind do the king's bidding like he Mm -hmm. figures out ways around that which is something that kale has never been able to figure out in his little brain kale hasn't even tried really like i mean the one shot that he had which is sending her away he kind of did a little bit it would have been better if he just asked her like hey i can maybe get you sent away is this where you want to go instead of just in his little pea brain like i know the best thing I don't want to defend Kale whatsoever, but he, meanwhile, is still dealing with a bunch of bullshit with his dad trying to use him to get a power play at being more esteemed in the eyes of the King of Otterlin. Kale is supposed to be, like, leaving to go to Aniel and, and do his duty now as the Lord of Aniel or whatever. And he has just been putting it off and putting it off. And his dad is like confronting him like, what the hell? You told me that you were going to be there in like a month. And now Kale's asking to fulfill his promise months later. And he just pretty much feels powerless right now. And it's almost frustrating to read on page because he cannot progress any. He cannot figure out how to get around anything. Believe the people who are actually helping you and you might have some luck here. Somebody else hears Kale telling Adian who Selena really is and what is really going on. And that person is Dorian, who is not happy that his best friend and the chick that he's in love with both kept this a secret from him. Yet they're telling Adian, who he still cannot stand, telling him all the secrets. Dorian doesn't realize that Adian, like, is on Selena's side at first. And so Kale has to kind of like, hey... He's her cousin. Look at his eyes kind of thing. Dorian's still not all down for it, though. He's still a little bit agitated that they kept the secret that Selena is actually Aelin. And then he goes back down memory lane. He's like, yeah, that makes sense. I did feel like I knew her. I did remember those eyes. I, you know, all these things. And he's like, it makes sense. It also makes sense why she told Kale that you will 
always be my enemy. And so now he's on Team Kale of, is she actually here to like be the downfall of Otterlin? Is that why she's here, Dorian? Your dad's Hitler. Get off of Selena. Respect for Dorian dwindled just a little bit there because he he started second guessing. Was she just cozying up to me to like get closer to this end game or you know what? Another thing that we see start happening in this first part of Era Fire is Adian starts talking to Kale. They're trying to figure out what exactly happened. 10 years ago. So there's like a scene where they're discussing the different waves that magic disappeared and they're trying to like pinpoint a geographical location to figure out more um, to investigate and figure out how exactly that happened. That's been the big question since book one is how did the king make this happen? He has all of these people in his council that he trusts and they're not good people. So there's some some stuff going on there too. And Kale and Adian have some help figuring this out from people who actually saw these spells enacted. And those people are Ren and Murtaugh, who we met in a previous book, but they are part of the rebellion and they are also nobles of Terrasun. And so Adian knows them from childhood, but they are helping Kale and Adian figure out what the fuck happened and how do we like undo it or come back from it or whatever. And one of the best scenes ever for me is we get a little trip down memory lane of Adian and him and Aelin as little kids. The part that stuck out for me is he's like, I would burn the world down for her. And I'm like, oh, too bad <laughs> this you're means her everything to Tara. Too bad. <laughs> But just having, like, he, I don't know. Selena doesn't have anybody that would burn the world down for her. Tara's love language is sacrifice. Like, if anyone is like, I would do anything for you. Like, Tara, and, Tara's just like, huh. And that's why women <laughs> like the morally gray characters. Because they would sacrifice anything for you. They would sacrifice the greater good for your life. Yes. And I get that sense that Adian would do whatever for selena and she needs that kind of person cousin or not that's who she needs is somebody that's going to be there for her no matter what not somebody who's going to be second guessing her the whole time not somebody who's like well but my dad says this no i'm down we need to go murder people let's go we need to go make friends with these people let's go <laughs> tara's a down ass bitch yes like, <laughs> i love it <laughs> like, i'm all for adian I'm like guys like I realize they can't be together. If Adian walked in my house right now, I would be first yeah. concerned that there's a fictional character walking in my house. But like, I probably would be like, hey, let's, let's, no, Sandra, I see that look. That's not what I was about to say. <laughs> let's go be friends. Okay. I'm not even saying anything because I would do the exact same thing. So I have no room to speak right now. But anywho, <laughs> let's get off the Adian horse here. No, I, I like um, that this book was all about Adian. Like nobody else <laughs> was introduced. Nothing else. It's the Adian story. I wanted to return back to Wendlin. <laughs> I know. Laugh at me. I wanted to return back to Wendland because on the topic of these bodies that are getting discovered, we're finding out that the life force or they have been drained for whatever reason. We also, there's like a scene with a serpent in a cave. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that 
whatever reason is not a good reason. Like it's not a happy, pleasant thing coming. It's like a, a bad thing. Yeah. But it's like, okay, if the king of Otterland, you know, is on his own continent, why is all this shit happening over here? Like what is going on? How does this tie into this? We hear about these creatures called the Valg, which were, I think they're described as these monsters or something. Um, that have Oh to yeah. They're the, the demons. Keys. Yes. They're like these the other people, the other realm, whatever. Which the serpent that Selena and Rowan come upon in the cave <laughs> where she gets the sword. I'm sorry, I have to say, by come upon, Sandra means that Rowan kidnapped Luca and chained him in this fucking cave so that he could get <laughs> Selena to come out here to save Luca. And Prince asshole. And, you know, to do that, she had to turn Faye. And dumbass is like, oh, I didn't realize there was anything else in this cave. Well, no shit, Sherlock, but you still screwed up. Like, stop it. Okay. Like, yeah, soapbox like over. Know. Like, Sandra just, I had to point out by come upon that's what sandra come meant. upon a cave it's just more of prince asshole's training no we find out that the serpent is quite possibly from a different world like somehow got over here so i mean it's just proof that all of this shit with the word keys and the word gates have been probably going on for centuries if not millennia and the only creature that we know of right now that is super super old is bitch queen just saying and we do know from previous books that this battle that happened over these word keys happened between the the Vogue and the Fae. And the, like, that's how these keys came to be from a portal that was able to let these stupid things in. Not to shit on, you know, Prince Asshole more, like to give him some redeeming stuff. We do get some backstory to him. Like there's more to him than meets the eye. He has gone through some tragedy himself. We learn in Fae culture that there is this thing called mates. They can be mated to someone. And when you are mated to someone, it's akin to having like a, a soulmate. Like you are tied to them through like even in death. And we learn that his mate died very tragically when she was pregnant. So he, in a sense, reminds me of Kale in this because he left his mate to go fight and like get honor and serve his queen and all of this stuff and finds mm -hmm. out that there somebody got in and that's who killed his mate and he he finds out that she was pregnant after the fact but he left her when she was pregnant so like i get that it sucks but he was making choices just like kale was that weren't the right choices like if you love your mate so damn much then why is it so important for you to be fighting over here for the honor of your queen like did she force you like no, probably not, because that's not said in the book. So you made this choice of your own free will to keep leaving your mate. When you know, if you're fighting somebody and there's a war and there's whatever, that there's a chance that she's going to be harmed in some way. So I do feel bad for him. I do get a sense, a deeper sense of why he is the way he is. But I also think, you know what? You made choices that led to this. Not very good choices that led to this. You could have been home with your mate and there to save her except for you chose just like kale did the queen over her or in kale's situation the king over her so how much did you really care if you're willing to choose somebody else over your mate i don't have a lot of patience for that no she doesn't and she will let you know no this is like the opposite from what we see 
in Otterland with Kale. It's almost like this militant brainwashing, right? Oh, no, no, no. You need to fight for your country to defend your home. Like if you care about your family and your friends, you'll go fight this war. And there are people on both sides, Kale and Rowan, who believe this because it's indoctrinated into them somehow. But it's part of the problem. It's almost like the book is a commentary on that too, because it never leads to good things. All of these battles, why it's always for the sake of becoming an empire. Well, and I mean, I'm not on Kale's side at all, but at least... With Kale, it is more a choice because he has been indoctrinated. That is not the sense that I got for Rowan. I got that he was more like, I wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to be the badass. And so I wanted to go and do all of this. Like it was more a choice in his part. Fair, because he is part of the royalty. He's a prince. Yeah, so he's he, in on those he meetings about... Like, he could have made a different choice to stay with his mate. And he didn't. He chose to leave her alone. He could have made a choice. He had the money. He had all this stuff. He could have made the choice to, like, have her protected in some way. And he didn't. And so I have very little sympathy. Like, I have a little. I have a little because it is, it sucks. And it does seem like he is sad. And it does seem like it affected him. But that's after the fact. Like, it didn't seem like he cared too much before. I'm down on Rowan. Even though these people obviously beat themselves up after their decision has been made, Tara has zero sympathy for them. (laughs) You deserve to beat yourself up. You made a dick move and you deserve your consequences. And now we need a like a more positive like vibe to end on because so let's talk about Adian. (laughs) I have the perfect thing. I mean, we can talk about Adian or we can... Selena does have some positive moments in Mistward. It's not like all horrible kitchen work, horrible training, life or death situations. You better change now. There are like little story time with the demi Like the... I forget which one specifically. Like the older one that will tell like these little myths and stories. And they all gather around to listen. And even Rowan is listening. But like as a hawk. Because I don't know. He's putting on this front. He's too badass to listen to these stories yeah he's too important i guess to to ever be interested in this kind of thing so there are some tender little moments like that but adian (laughs) i just can't wait for adian and selena or aelin to meet again like i have a feeling that's gonna be the best scene i am down for the reunion of them i want to see this happen so badly Mm -hmm. and also it mentions Adian's own little, his homies, basically, like his boys, which are not with him yet. So uh, if mm, if someone is like good friends with Adian, like I'm going to like this crew. Okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying that. If we could just write a whole book of from Adian's perspective, like Sarah J. Mass, here we go. Here's another like, you know, like Assassin's Blade kind of a book. You can just like <laughs> write a book, short stories, whatever, from Adian's perspective, like his life as the whore of Adderlon or Otterlin. I said that wrong. I, I'd be down for reading that one as a ninth book. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Part two for Air of Fire. Any idea what's going to happen? I think it's too early for us to get this reunion that we just talked about. I think Rowan is going to deem that she has learned enough or is good enough or whatever you want to deem it to meet 
Maeve. And I think we're going to get some answers. I think the witches are going to like get on the wyvern and hopefully figure out that they're on the wrong side of history. Although they are what they are. So they probably won't. Yeah, they're they're interesting characters to to get their POV because they literally, if, if they're a personality type, they are like chaotic neutral, possibly like chaotic evil. I would maybe? say chaotic like, evil. They're for the violence. Yeah. It's a really interesting yeah. perspective to read is all I'm going to say. But Sandra is a cancer in case you have not figured that out. But she is also on the chaotic evil side of things. It's <laughs> um, a little contradictory, but... Um, no, yeah. she is. She's she's that cancer that like I'm will... crazy cancer. Yeah, she will. She will be down for the murder and mayhem. <laughs> get That's on, why we're besties. Get on her bad side and... <laughs> Somebody's finding a shovel. <laughs> You'll help me bury it, right? Yes, yes. Um, do we think Kale goes to Annie L? Like, do we think he can't hide from his dad anymore and goes home? Even after his dad pulls those stunts like, oh, here's a letter from your mother. You know, pull at his heartstrings. I think the better question is, do we care? Aww. Like. Oh, that's, that's, that's harsh. Like, I'm okay with him going if, like go you're probably offending all kinds of kale lovers out well, there i mean i was i was all for him he i, I was all for was him he was my very first crush in this book and he made some very very bad choices and i think he needs to go i i didn't say unforgivable i just i don't care if he goes there maybe he'll learn a lesson maybe his mom will teach him like you know your dad's an asshole don't be like your dad like he needs something he needs a motherly figure telling him like you you can't just be all down on selena because she doesn't do exactly what you want her to do make some better choices dude learn from your choices because right now you haven't so next week tuesday part two of air of fire will drop um, the rest, and we will discuss all the events that happen there. If you enjoyed this video, please like, comment, subscribe, what your favorite or least favorite parts of the book were. We hope you're having fun going through the Throne of Glass read-along with us. If you have an extra second or two, if you could rate this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, feel free to do that too. We appreciate it. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.